hope that it is a Merry Christmas for you. On the first Christmas, the angels announced Christ's birth and proclaimed peace on earth. But for too many people, that just isn't the case. Many people experience conflict on a daily basis, and it breaks in and spills over onto the holidays. And so many people will have a peaceless Christmas this year. Fights, arguments, strife, hatred rather than love, enemies rather than friends. Peace often seems missing in our hearts and in our homes and on both hemispheres of this globe. War and unrest seem ever-present. It seems like we live in a seemingly endless parade of conflict. I think basically it's like this. We are sin-sick people living on a sin-sick planet, and we need a heavy dose of peace. We need a prince of peace. Picture a man racked with guilt over sins that he's committed. Picture a woman who is crying out to God for peace in her marriage. Picture a child who is secretly hoping and praying for the daily arguments to stop. Picture a person who fears that they may have made the wrong decision. They all want peace. I may have described you. We are in need of peace. Enter Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Now I have opened my Bible. I want to ask you to open your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. But I want you to know something with assurance before I read. I have opened up my Bible. You are opening up your Bibles. And I want you to know with assurance that what we are about to read is faithful and true. That it is the Word of God. That it is not the Word of man. That it is not just some opinion. But this is the Word of God. The words we're going to read... It's part of the larger book, the Bible, that breaks into human experience and gives peace where there is widespread conflict. These words break into our world and they break through human reasoning, they break through sin, and they speak truth in the midst of our deepest need. Hebrews, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord God, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you, Lord, that, that your word is true and right and faithful. 
And thank you, Lord, that you speak truth in the midst of our deepest needs. Lord, I ask you now today that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, that you would form us into the people that you intend for us to be. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. What I want you to see today, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, is that you already have peace with God. You already have peace with God if you're a Christian, and you can experience the peace of God. That's what I want you to know today. I want you to realize and to see if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that you need to have peace with God. And that need is only met through the Lord Jesus Christ. That need is only, that need is only met through a relationship by faith with Jesus. I want you to see that only in Jesus is there peace. I want everyone to see this. I don't want to just talk about peace today and have warm feelings about peace. I want you to know with assurance that there is peace in no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that there all, all other avenues of peace are dead ends. I want you to know that all other promises of peace are lies. I want you to know that only in Jesus is there peace. Now, over the past three weeks, we have looked at these titles for Jesus that Isaiah gave long before he ever arrived on the scene in, in God incarnate. But the idea that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and, and the mighty God and the everlasting Father and now today the Prince of Peace. He is the wonderful counselor who tells us what we need to know, what we need to hear. He is the mighty God who gives us the power to counteract our our tendency to create chaos in our lives and in the world. And He is the everlasting Father, literally the Father of eternity that comforts us in every situation, every complexity of life. And today we're looking at the fact that He is the Prince of Peace. It should come to no surprise to any of us when we woke up this morning that we live in a world that is bankrupt when it comes to peace. That we live in a world that is starving for peace. The world is bankrupt and the peace account is overdrawn. Man has defaulted, foreclosure is looming. And we have allowed that same world to dictate the terms and conditions of peace to us. So we are left in emotional and relational and spiritual limbo. We are left with baggage. And sure, there are a lot of things we think we need. In two days, some people will realize some of their hopes and dreams of things they need. But there's only one thing we need today, and it's we need a Prince of Peace. In the midst of all the confusion of life, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all the complexities, and especially the conflicts, we are in deep, deep need. We need, once again, to hear these words in Isaiah chapter 9. Once again, to hear the word, to us, a child is born. That he will be human, that he will be God in the flesh. A son will be given, all by grace, not by us. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he's going to have a name. He'll be known. His identity, his character, the totality of his being will be realized as for what it really is. He will be known as the wonderful counselor. 
and the mighty God and the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. What's that? What exactly is peace? We hear the word a lot. We hear the concept a lot. People talk about world peace, meta world peace. We want peace on earth. We hear world peace. We hear peace on earth. What is peace? Is it the armies of the world to calling a, a ceasefire and say, we're not going to fight for a little while, you know, over the Christmas holiday? Is it family members agreeing not to talk or not to even look at each other or even to cross over a line in the middle of the house? Is it really a ceasefire before major shelling? Is that, is that what peace is? Is it a momentary truce before going at it again? That's the peace that many of us know. Often we think it's the absence of unsettling things. You know, I feel comfortable, therefore I am at peace. I have peace. Peace to some people means they get everything they want. Everything goes their way. For others, it's an opportunity to spend some alone time. I want some peace and quiet. I find myself saying that a lot at my house. I need some peace and quiet. I'll be peace. I'll be quiet. It should really come as no surprise to us that our ideas about peace often fail, that they're not in line, and and they're manufactured versions of peace. They're, They're imitations of a real thing. They must be compared to the real thing. Whatever your concept of peace is, it must be matched up and and measured against God's true peace. So let's do that. Let's let's look at it. What is peace? Well, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, the word peace here is is the Hebrew word shalom. You probably have heard that word before. Shalom. What does it mean? It, it means to be whole. It means to be sound. It means to be safe. It means to be uninjured. It means to be safe and sound. It's a noun, and it means health, and it means security, and it means tranquility and welfare. To be in a good condition, to have success, even to have comfort. And it's the opposite of war. I think we all know that. Peace is the opposite of war. But where we all usually go wrong when it comes to peace is that we think of it in negative light. We think that peace is just the absence of something bad. It's the absence of war. But it's more than that. It's more than the absence of, of strife. There's a positive aspect of peace. It's not just the absence of war. It, it signifies the idea of being in a state fully satisfied because of who God is. It has behind its idea of completeness and, and fullness and harmony, even fulfillment. It's the state of being fully satisfied in God because God is fully good. Shalom, it's that deep abiding sense of well-being because God is in control. In the midst of every circumstance. It's kind of an oxymoron if you think about it. It's calm and storm. It's calm in the storm. It's not the storm calming down. It's being calm in the midst of a storm. And the Greek word is similar. The Greek word is erene, for peace. It means rest. It's in contrast with strife. It it does point to the absence or end of war or strife, conflict. The opposite word in Greek is makaira, the word for sword, the idea of war. But peace goes deeper even in the Greek meaning. Peace 
really is the result of reconciliation, of parties that were at war now coming together, not being um, isolated from each other, but actually being one. It's the idea of a state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. And so at the heart of peace, whether it's shalom or irene, it's, it's the idea of oneness. It's the idea of wholeness. It's the idea of togetherness. It's what we long for. That's what peace is. But what's a prince of peace? What's a prince of peace? What does it mean that Jesus is the prince of peace? Does he wear a crown all the time? What's a, what's a prince of peace? I saw a lot of kids wearing crowns today from Sunday school. I think they probably talked about Jesus being the prince of peace. But I want to show you three aspects of, of Jesus as prince of peace that will give us an idea uh, of what this means. And, and I just, ahead of time, I'll warn you ahead of time, one of them is very objective. It has nothing to do with how you feel. Another is very subjective. It does deal with your feelings and your situation. And the third is absolute. It's just, it stands no matter what. So let's talk about Jesus as Prince of Peace. Number one, Jesus makes peace. He makes timeless peace. Eternal peace. Lasting peace. See, what what he does is he initiates peace. He's the initiator of peace. That's really what it means to be the prince of peace. That word prince means commander and general and captain and governor and chief and ruler and leader. He is the commander of peace. Some people, um, someone was telling me about Jesus being, you know, the, the, the prince of peace and what that might be like in our, in our context. And I don't know anything about this, but someone told me that maybe he was like the Voltron of peace. Captain Planet of Peace. Or the Vortex of Peace. He is the commander of the army of peace. We think of armies destroying things. God restores. He is the commander, the captain, the the chief, the ruler, the leader of peace. He's a strong, trustworthy leader of peace. And so he gives timeless peace. And and. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9 says that peace will be without end. Look with me. It says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Isn't it interesting that this perfect peace that God gives is perfect, but it gets better and better and better. We don't understand that. We think, well, it's already perfect, so how can it get better? But it gets, it increases in betterness. It is better and better. It's, it's, it's the way God does it. I think we need to consider why Prince of Peace was such a big deal to the, to the Jews. Why would this be so important to the children of Israel to hear that there was going to be a Prince of Peace? I don't think we should take it for granted. I think it will give us a, a clearer picture of Jesus as the Prince of Peace if we understand what, what was the deal with them wanting a Prince of Peace? Well, it's really easy. It's really simple. They were always at war. So they wanted peace. There was always conflict and people were always coming at them from the outside or they were having trouble from the inside. That's how it is with us. We have internal strife. We have external strife. We've got conflicts within, conflicts without. Just like them. 
In their situation, God promised them that he would protect them and he would have, give them peace and rest if only they would do one thing. If only they would worship him with all their hearts and would do what he says. If only they kept God's law, if only they obeyed God, they would have peace. But we all know they didn't. And we all know that peace was needed on earth because man had fallen in sin. Peace is needed because man is sinful. Where man is present, conflicts multiply. Where God is present, peace flows like a river. As the commander of peace, Jesus, he would, as Luke one seventy nine says, guide their feet in the way of peace. It means they would have peace with God. That's what Jesus does when he makes timeless peace. He gives you peace with God. You come to faith in him and you have peace with God. That's what Romans 5.1 says. Being justified by faith. Being made right with God through faith in Christ. Coming into a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what kept them from experiencing God's peace? Same thing that keeps us from experiencing God's peace. It's stubborn, sinful pride. That's what keeps us from experiencing God's peace. And and also coupled with foolish, ignorant falsehood. Believing that. I mean, what if the biggest lie ever told was being sold as the greatest truth you need to latch on to to have peace in your life? You know you're living in that world, right? You're living in the world where the greatest lie ever told is being sold as the answer to all your problems, right? And, And it's this. You're God. Just acknowledge it. And everything will be all right. Find it within you. Take God completely out of the picture and and you work it out on your own because you are self-sufficient. That's the greatest lie ever perpetrated and that's the one that's sold to us on a daily basis. And what if the greatest truth that was ever told is being spun as the most horrific fairy tale that was ever told? The gospel of the grace of God in Christ is being spun as ridiculous nonsense by the world. You are a fool if you believe it. You must be mentally incompetent or you must have a low IQ if you're going to believe that. Now we who believe have a different take on things, don't we? We who believe have a different take on things. We don't need to spin anything. We don't need to twist the story. We tell it like God gave it. And it's foolishness to the perishing and it's life and peace to those who are being saved. Just this week, I saw a handwritten um, message on a chalkboard sign in front of a store on the Orange Plaza. And, And it said this, In the end, it will only matter how we treated each other. I say hogwash. That's not true. That's a lie. Now, it matters how you treat people, sure, but not ultimately. It doesn't matter ultimately. That's not the the determiner of your destiny. In the realm of peace with God, it will only matter how you treated the Lord Jesus Christ. It will only matter if you love the truth enough to be saved. I think the heart of who Christ is as Prince of Peace can, can be seen most clearly in the announcement that the angels gave to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Go there with me. Luke chapter 2. You know the story. You hear it as a narrative every Christmas. We'll take a running start. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. 
They laid him in a feeding trough because there was no place for them in, in either the inn or the guest room, however you want to put it, the ketaluma, or the place they put people, there wasn't room. So they put him in a place where they put animals. And then it says in verse 8 that in the same region there were some shepherds, lowly shepherds, looked down upon, and they were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's what they did. They were doing their job. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, when did that part of the story just kind of lose its impact for you? They were out minding their own business, and the glory of God shone around them. They were flat on their faces in awe of God. We just kind of read and go, oh yeah, ho-hum, it's the Christmas story. What a great voice the narrator has. The glory of God shone around them. And they were filled with fear. Well, no wonder the angel says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Behold, I'm bringing you good news. You're not going to die. A good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you... It's personal. Is born this day, that day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When did that lose its impact? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, so there's one angel, scary angel, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Do you get this picture? Thousands upon thousands of angels singing at the top of their lungs? I think they sing better than us. And what, what song did they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Well, they were singing that song. They've been singing that song from, from, from before time. That's not a new song for angels, is it? Glory to God in the highest. That's the song the angels sing. But there were some new words in this song. What are the new words? And on earth... And on earth. Oh, oh, it's different now. Something's happening on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with those he is pleased. Now, most of us grew up with King James on this one. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, uh, goodwill towards men, right? Oh, and we take that to mean uh, you know, we want to have peace on earth because God has got a peace so everyone should be behaved around each other and not kill each other and stuff and be nice to everyone. Goodwill towards men. Have goodwill towards everyone. That is not what this verse means. The verse literally says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. On whom does God's favor rest? Believers. The church. God says, my, my soul has no pleasure in the wicked. Someone who is not a believer in Christ does not please God. But they're so moral and so upstanding and so nice. But they're going to hell. And they're not loving God. And God's soul is not pleased. That's what he says. My soul not, has no pleasure in the wicked. So who is God pleased with? Those who acknowledge his rule. Those who acknowledge Christ as Lord. Believers. Christians. The church of Christ. That's what we're talking about. 
Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst His people. He makes timeless peace. He brings it about. He initiates it. And the price of peace was Christ's life. Christ's life. Now let's go back to shalom for a moment, okay? The word shalom. If you wish someone shalom, and when I was in seminary, I got wished shalom a lot by my Hebrew professor, Dr. Richard Rigsby. I love that man. He was a little guy with a booming voice. So he'd be walking down the halls, and he would say, Shalom! And he would do it all the time. And I thought, this is kind of a weird guy. He's always saying, Shalom! And singing songs in the middle of class, too. But, Shalom! And I'm thinking, why is he always doing this? But as I came to understand the meaning of the word shalom more, I get it. If you give someone the greeting shalom, you are giving a blessing on them. You are pronouncing a blessing of peace from God to them. But if you withhold the greeting of shalom, you are actually cursing them. The withholding of the shalom greeting was to give a curse. Jesus became a curse for us so that we might have peace with God. Jesus, even in the manger, was declaring war on sin. His entrance into the world, his, his, his stealth entrance into the world was a declaration of war on sin. He gave a blessing to counteract sin. He died to pay our debt. This is big. He made war on sin so that we could have peace with him. In Colossians chapter 1, we read some beautiful words about Jesus and then we read what he did. Colossians chapter 1 speaks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence, that he would be first place all the time. First priority. And then it says in verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ, this God-man. And it says, verse 20, that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is able to make timeless peace because he made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.21 says you were once alienated. You were once hostile in your minds towards God. You were doing evil deeds. But he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith. He makes timeless peace. He initiates peace. We were God's enemies. We were born God-haters. We were born God-fighters. We were part of the Adam and Eve rebellion. The uprising. Romans 5.10 tells us we were enemies of God. But you believe in Jesus Christ and you stop being God's enemy. You become his friend. Your hostility is exchanged for love for God. Jesus, by the blood of his Christ, cross, makes an eternal covenant with those he has chosen. And I will tell you, it is an objective fact. 
I will tell you it has nothing at all to do with your feelings or your thoughts at all. This truth in Scripture has nothing to do with subjective feelings. It's a settled fact. Jesus, in mercy and grace, is willing, able, and ready to forgive and to save and to restore. He is willing to withhold from us the punishment that our sins deserve, because He took that punishment. He is willing to extend to us the grace that we do not deserve, and this is the objective side of peace. You've got to grasp it. Acts 10.36 says this is the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15 says this is the gospel of peace. We celebrate that. We celebrate it. Now, if you're a Christian, you already have, please hear me, you already have peace with God. If you are a Christian, you already have peace with God. So don't be like a child, let's say an eight-year-old, who, who uh, wakes up on Christmas morning. No offense to eight-year-olds at all, but I could see this not happening. <laughs> an eight-year-old wakes up on Christmas morning in some alternative universe, and what happens is she runs downstairs, sees the bike that her parents are getting her for Christmas, and runs to the bike, hugs the bike, and then says, Can I please have a bike for Christmas? And then her daddy takes her outside and is walking, like holding her up on the bike and taking her down the sidewalk. And she's saying the whole time, looking back, going, Daddy, Daddy, please give me a bike for Christmas. That's just like the the weird alternative universe we do with peace. Oh, Lord, please give us peace. We already have it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not feeling driven, it is truth driven, and you can have assurance, you should have assurance, because God says it. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need peace with God. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But if you're not a Christian, don't do what I did before I was a believer. I relied upon religious rituals and trying really hard to get myself to God. The problem with that is your conscience remains stained. You must bow before Christ in humility. Believe what he did in substituting himself in our place. Because salvation is found only in Christ. It's not found in yourself. It's found in Christ. So Jesus initiates peace. He he makes timeless peace. And because he makes timeless peace... It changes what Christians do on a daily basis. Because Jesus makes timeless peace, then we should be going to other people to help them see how they can have peace with God. It's the basis of us evangelizing the world. Jesus initiates peace, therefore we should initiate with others the gospel of peace. You know Nahum 1.15, right? You know that verse? Nahum 1.15, you want to recite it with me? You'll know it when I start saying it. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publish peace. I know you know it as Romans 10.15, where it's quoted, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That's a quote of Nahum 1.15. You help others have peace with God. And you want to do it because you love Jesus and He 
initiated peace towards you. And you were his enemy. People don't do this. God does. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Okay, I took a long time on that because it's important. And so are the next two, but we'll take a shorter amount of time on them. Let me talk about two more things about Jesus, about being the Prince of Peace. Jesus, we know, makes timeless peace. He makes eternal peace. He makes lasting peace. And he also gives peace. So he makes peace with enemies, and then he gives peace to his new friends. Now, this is the subjective part. John chapter 14. Go with me there. John chapter 14. Here's Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, about things to come and you know they're going to be frightened and you know they're going to be wary you know they're going to be concerned and and he's telling them about how he is the only way to heaven and how there's no other way to be saved but through him And he's telling them that when he leaves after he rises from the dead he's going to die on the cross rise from the dead ascend to the father he's going to send the holy spirit and then he's telling them he says look These are the things, John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Then he said, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give? The world gives cheap imitations. The world gives replicas. The world gives shells that are empty. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then in John chapter 16, verse 33. Again, he's he's telling them, I have overcome the world. And he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You have peace with God through faith in Christ and then you become his friend, not his enemy, and he gives you total peace. That you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, he said. That's what you have. That's what the world gives you. Tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You can have peace in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have peace with God and you can experience the peace of God. That's what we're talking about here, the peace of God. It's not dependent upon circumstances. It permeates your mind even. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, the steadfast of mind, God will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. The idea is your mind is fixed on Him. So how do you have peace? You fix your mind on God. You fix your mind on Jesus. You fix your mind on what is right and true and good, just like Philippians 4 tells you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Who wouldn't want to go there? Psalm 119 says, Great peace have those who love your word. Philippians 4 says, You know what? Um, don't be anxious, but in everything, pray and make your request known to God. Um, a lot of people I know are always anxious. Sometimes a constant ang- uh, sense of anxiety about everything in life. They're not trusting God. That's When I'm anxious, I'm not trusting God. But if you, if you love the Word of God and you are keeping your mind fixed on Him and you are, are 
praying, you're going to have the subjective side of peace. You're going to have a soul at peace because God is good. And will you have a perfect life? Absolutely not. That would be ridiculous to promise anyone that. But who would want that anyway, right? No. You will have a sometimes out of control life. You will have a chaotic life. You will have a conflict-ridden life. But will you have peace? Oh, yes. You will have peace. Because you have peace with God through Jesus, and now you're not his enemy, but, you're, but his friend, and now he will give you the peace of God. He's not going to give you confusion. He will give you peace. But what keeps us from experiencing the peace of God? And, and, and subsequently, the peace of God with others because most of our conflicts have to do with other people. If, you don't, if you're not experiencing the peace of God, you will not be at peace with other people. But what keeps us from that? The same sinful, stubborn pride. The refusal of truth, or denying the truth, or resisting the truth, pushing it away, rebelling against the truth, uh, trying to avoid pain. We, we engage in pain avoidance at all costs, do we not? As long as it won't hurt me. God wants truth adherence regardless of cost. One writer said this, I mourn, but I have hope. Sounds pretty good to me. I mourn and I have hope. But then this writer says, for any problem created by humans can be solved by humans. I say baloney to that. Baloney. You ever had a baloney sandwich? You know what I'm saying then. Baloney to that outside of Christ. No way in the world. It's, uh, I've seen it made. Baloney. You really going to tell me that any problem created by humans can be solved by humans? You're going to really tell me that, that unaided human reason that gets us into this mess is going to get us out of it? That's ludicrous. It's baloney. Without Christ, no way in the world. Now, one writer said this, and I totally agree with this. Conflict cannot survive without your participation. Now, some people get really good at participating in conflict. Conflict will not survive without your engagement in it, without your participation in it, without your encouragement of it. You don't water it, it won't grow. But everybody loves, some people just like to be little conflict farmers, conflict ranchers. Charlie Chaplin said this, I'm at peace with God, my conflict is with man. Baloney to that as well. If, you are at, if, if your conflict is with man, you are not at peace with God. There's no way. You're fooling yourself. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, if you can't, God says, if you can't love your neighbor, who, your, your brother who you've seen, how can you say you love God who you haven't seen? Sorry. Hey, we're all in the same boat on this one, right? It's, it's tough for all of us, right? We, we feel the pinch on all of this, right? But I want to be an agent of peace, you say. Me too. I want to be an agent of peace. Not a secret agent, an agent of peace. Uh, an ambassador of peace. I mean, I don't want the job, Prince of Peace. Do you want the job, Prince of Peace? You're not getting it. It's God's job, right? That's God's job. He's the Prince of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Well, we can be agents of peace. No prince for you, but agent, ambassador, representative. That, you can have that. We can do that when Christ is in us. How can you be an agent of peace? What kind of peace should you bring the world? What kind of pre- peace should we be giving to the world? It's simple. 
the same kind God gives. The, the only kind of peace we can give to the world that isn't an empty shell, that isn't a replica or an uh, imitation, is God's peace. The peace that transcends circumstances. So we point him to God. We point him to, to the one who gives total peace. He grants it, therefore we can bring it with others. It's a testimony to Christ if you can pull it off, by the way. Romans 12. As far as possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. As far as possible, be at peace with all people. Can you say today that you have true peace with God? That you have the peace of of God in your life because there's no one that you're at odds with? That you have a clear conscience before God and man? Wouldn't that be the greatest gift in the world? Wouldn't that be the greatest state to be in? That's, That's what God wants you to be in today. God wants you to be in the state where you have, it's free and clear between you and anyone else. And then when it happens and the conflict happens, you settle it the way people settle conflicts. You duke it out, right? No, 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 no. No, we're talking um, doing what God wants us to do. And, and here it is. Uh, James three eighteen. A harvest of righteousness. You want to be a, a, a rancher? Or you want a, a harvest of righteousness? It's sown in peace by those who make peace. You've got to make peace with people. Pride will keep you from peace. Pride is keeping you from peace right now in your life. Bowing before Jesus leads to peace. I love what one writer said. You cannot think your way out of a crisis of faith. You've got to repent your way out of it. I love that. And I will just say, you cannot fight your way out of a lack of peace or push your way through it or into it. You have to repent your way out of a lack of peace with God and with others. So what's necessary for true peace is God intervening, which he has done, and we surrendering, we yielding to the process. So confess your sin and your inability to have peace. Whether it's your family, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's somebody you just don't like, too many Christians are all heaped up on their, have all this conflict heaped up on their back, and they're not walking in peace because they're kind of liking the way they, they're hating people. What does Jesus say to the church in Revelation? Be zealous and repent. Run to repent. Be quick to repent. Love to repent. Do what Christians do. And remember, you can only do your part. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So you know there's something that you've done that's injured someone else. You go to them and you say, I blew it. I sinned. Please forgive me. Let's say you don't know what happened, but something's between you and someone else and something's wrong. You say, I don't know where we got wrong. I don't know how we got into this conflict. But I am so sorry for anything I might have done to, to steer things the wrong way. But you can only do your part. You, you do your part and you leave the rest in God's hands. You cannot be the prince of peace. Remember, you're the, only, and the agent of peace, the ambassador of peace, the representative of peace. You're not the prince, the commander. You're not the one that makes it happen. Okay, one last thing. As Prince of Peace. We know that Jesus makes timeless, lasting, eternal peace. We know that He gives peace. So, so He makes 
peace with us so we have peace with God. And he gives the peace of God. So we've got the objective and the subjective, but here's the absolute. Jesus is true peace. Jesus himself is true peace. He is the God of peace. So you can have peace with God and he gives you the peace of God because he is the God of peace. In and of himself, Jesus is peace. Perfect peace. The only source of true, eternal, everlasting peace. Now you know Micah 5.5, 5, right? This one shall be our peace. It's quoted in Ephesians chapter 2 that he himself is our peace. He broke down the wall of hostility. I think almost every Christian I know worries if God can really take care of what he said he'll take care of. I think every Christian I know wonders if he can really work it all out for his glory and our good. It's almost like we're watching this movie and our hero was tied to the train tracks and we're like, oh no, can God untie himself before the train runs over him? Gotta be kidding me. That's what we do. We're like, oh, can he get himself out of this predicament? Can he really save me out of this predicament? Let me just say it this way. God orchestrated the incarnation. God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. God orchestrated that. And he orchestrated the crucifixion. He got evil to go all over itself and kill itself. And he orchestrated the resurrection. I think he can take care of your life. You can rest in peace knowing that God will keep his promises, every one of them. Not one of his promises has ever failed, nor will, they, will, will it ever fail. And Jesus promises and provides for his followers a lasting peace, even in the presence of conflict, able to carry them through any trials. Philippians 4.7. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God... Now, where did this come from? Well, it says, um, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So you're praying, you're depending upon God, you're going to Him, and it says, then the peace of God, which passes understanding, you can't figure this out, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, who is our peace. He who is our peace. And the word for guard here is not the word we think of, which means like watch over and keep something imprisoned. It's not that word. It is a word that is used in a military sense, meaning to stand at a post and guard against the aggression of any enemy. When peace is on guard in your life, when God's peace is on guard in your life, you are in an unconquerable fortress, a fort, and nothing can touch you. Jesus Christ is that strong tower. He is that fortress. And the guard is peace. The peace of God stands guard over your life. The peace of God keeps worry from eroding your heart away. The peace of God helps unworthy thoughts um, from, uh, keeps unworthy thoughts from messing with your mind. That's the kind of peace we all want. 
Every one of us wants that kind of peace. We want a peace that deals with our past. That's what Jesus does. Where no arrows of conscience dipped in the venom of past sins can pierce your heart and torture you moment by moment. As many people are tortured moment by moment by the remembrance of their past sins. God's peace reigns in the present moment with no unfinished business eating away at your soul or at your mind. And God's peace is the peace that goes through eternity, that holds promise for the future. There's no fear of the unknown that's going to mess you up when you're in the peace of God. It can't threaten you because it is the Prince of Peace that forgives the guilt of your past. It is the Prince of Peace that overcomes through present trials in your life. And it is the Prince of Peace by which your future is absolutely assured in Christ. This is the Davidic King of Peace. This is the one who's going to sit on the throne forever. This is the one whose kingdom will have no end. And as good or as bad as life is for you here on earth, let me remind you once again, this is not all that is known and and is real. What you see is not all there is. There is a kingdom in heaven forever. There is something better in store. Our hope is in heaven. Conflict reminds us that we are sinful humans. Peace reminds us that God is good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you do remind us of the truth. Thank you that Jesus is the wonderful counselor that has the best ideas and the mighty God who defeats all enemies of the cross and the everlasting Father who comforts his people and the Prince of Peace that reconciles enemies. Thank you, Lord, that your, your peace is true, it's real, it's total, it's absolute, it's timeless, it's eternal. Thank you, Lord, that your peace makes enemies friends. Lord, we want to worship and adore you this Christmas and every day because you are and ever will be our peace. 